name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Metro Life Church. Would you turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2? We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, and if you're new here, I look forward to meeting you. My wife and I will meet you in the lobby afterwards. Uh, but for the last Sunday, that will be a brief time that we'll be able to be together because we have the last of our fall kickoff lunches today. Uh, now, this lunch is the same content as the other lunches were uh, for administrative reasons for our hospitality team. We had divided up the lunches to, uh, to be over three different weeks, and so it's officially designated as for those who are 61 and above in age. But if you would like to participate, please feel free to come in and join us for this lunch. We've made provision for that, uh, but we, we do not have childcare today. Uh, this is one of the weeks that we didn't have childcare, but I thought that today would be an appropriate t- day to do two things. One, uh, we should thank our facilities, hospitality team, and TruthQuest for the way that they have just served so heroically over these last few weeks. I'm just so grateful that they would catch the vision for what we're doing in these lunches for us as a church. Uh, this is one of those things that uh, we may have these ideas, but it really does, even as Anna was just talking about on the video, it takes uh, the church being the church and, and using different gifts and abilities to, to even make something like a fall kickoff lunch happen. And I just want to express my gratitude. I know that many of the teams that I'm thanking won't even necessarily hear this or they're hearing it over the din of, of uh, dishes clanging in the kitchen or the din of children that they're still taking care of, but I don't want to miss this opportunity to express my gratitude uh, for those teams. Thank you for waiting in this morning. I appreciate you being here. Uh, you know, before we get into the word this morning, I just thought it might be something different for us today uh, to sing a prayer together. Now, some of you may know this song, uh, others may not. That's okay. If you don't know it, we're going to learn it together. But I just wonder if we can just sing this simple chorus together. It goes like this. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Just going to sing it again. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. One more time, pray this in faith for yourself this morning. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving. I'll be a living 
sanctuary for you. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. You know, this morning, as we look at these scriptures together, we realize this text is primarily about the identity of Jesus. It points to Jesus as the one who is the rock that the church will be built on, the cornerstone that we can build our lives on, and a stumbling stone of offense to others as they reject him. But we also see how it is that our identity is so intricately woven with the identity of Christ. See, our identity is directly connected to his. And so Peter is going to take language from the nation of Israel. It's rooted in redemptive history. We see this in Scripture, and it applies to those who are now under the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And so oftentimes when we're looking at the Scriptures together, one of the questions we should be asking ourselves is, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus that he's speaking of? And verse 4, our opening verse, connects to where we closed last week. We've tasted and we've seen. Now, as we come to him, he wants to show us. He wants to give us the big picture. He wants to show us something about what he is doing with our lives. But can we just pause for a moment in awe and wonder at those opening words? As we come to him. Do you hear the invitation in that this morning? Those who believe, those who have been saved for some time, the wonder of this phrase should never wear off for us. You can continue to turn and come to him. For those who have never called on his name as Lord and Savior, there is an open invitation to you today. Come to him. Come to him and live for his glory we can come to Jesus. He's not some austere, far-off God. He's not some deity that we set on a shelf. We can come to the living Savior, the living stone, as we see. So what are some of the other things that Peter wants us to understand about the identity of Jesus and our identity as well. He wants us to understand, Peter wants us to understand that Jesus is the one who makes us living stones. 
Now, Peter seems to like this word living. He, he uses it quite a bit in this passage. And in this particular instance, he uses living as a modifier for stone. Now, I don't know about you, but outside of the movie Frozen, I don't think about stones living all that much. That's not something that I give a lot of time to. As a matter of fact, when I see a stone laying on the ground, I usually want to toss it. Uh, my, my nephews love tossing the stones kind of at a border edge around our pool into the pool. I don't know what my pool guy thinks about that. Uh, I think it's wonderful. Their parents aren't so great on it. That's why I'm the crazy uncle. Those stones become active when somebody else does something with it. And yet, Peter is using a modifier here. He's saying that these are living stones. We are living stones because Christ is a living stone. You know, the other use of this word in the New Testament is when Jesus introduces himself to the woman at the well as living water. He is our life and our very breath. And you know, the way that you come to Jesus is not by trying to attach yourself to some church that feels alive. It's not by attaching yourself to the most popular community group in that church. It's not by finding who the movers and shakers in the congregation are. No, the way that you come to life, the way that you're attached to Jesus is by connecting yourself to the living stone, anchoring and rooting your life in him. Now, you don't need a position to do ministry. You don't need some kind of special calling or credentials. What you need is life. You need life in order to do ministry. And so when you connect and you anchor yourself to the living stone, what happens in that moment is you are given life. He becomes the source of life. In what feels like a lifetime ago, I used to do collections for a bank, which is a bad enough job as it is. Even worse, I did collections after we had already repossessed the vehicle. So it's not like they didn't want to hear from me in the first place. They didn't want to think I existed. And the problem was my phone call was the last one before a court date was set. That's a challenging role to be in. I was way too good at it. Now you know how to pray for my wife. All of those attitudes I still know and I still have. All of the ways that I treated people I still have. Do you know what one of the number one quotes that I would hear was? You can't get blood or water from a stone. That's true. But I'm not doing that. I'm trying to get money from you. And what they were telling me was, you're going to have as good a chance of getting money from me as you would to have water or blood from a stone. Perhaps you've used that phrase on the phone before. Perhaps you've used that phrase in conversation before, when you're talking about something that seems impossible, and yet Peter uses this impossible phrase, and he doesn't compare it to blood or water. He says, you can receive life from this living stone. How amazing is that? Life from a living stone. Jesus, revealing himself to the woman at the well, says that you can have life from water. It's something that if you immerse yourself in it, it will actually take your physical life. And yet Jesus is saying, spiritual life will flow from this. And yet, even though he was the Messiah, we recognize that he was rejected by men. 
That's what verse tells us. That's what verse 4 tells us. The living stone was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he was what? He was chosen and precious. And this is where we see our Savior as unique in redemptive history. He is the lamb that was slain on our behalf. He is the one who is worthy of all of our praise and all of our honor. He is the one who is himself the source of life and identity. And in his identity, he is chosen and precious before the Father. Do you realize, church, what that means for you today? If you believe in him, you are chosen and precious. That is good news. That is good news before God the Father. Chosen and precious. You know, Jesus continues to be rejected today, doesn't he? And we shouldn't be surprised when we are rejected because of him as well. People will refuse to Jesus because they, be, they refuse to believe that he is the only way to God, so they begin to try to create their own religions and their own paths and build temples and appoint priests because they feel like they need something more. They reject him in that way. Some reject Jesus with faint praise. They say, well, he was a wise teacher. He represents something that was good in all religions. Others reject Jesus as a worthless country preacher who couldn't even gain a hearing in his own hometown. But Jesus is the one who is the maker of of living stones. What else does Peter tell us about Jesus here and as, as such begin to tell us and help us understand about ourselves? He tells us that Jesus is the builder of this spiritual house. Just as Jesus was rejected by the world, so are we. Just as Jesus is God's chosen, so are we. And just as Jesus is honored before God the Father, so too we will be honored at the revelation of Christ, having preserved in our faith. Can you believe that we will one day, because of Christ, be honored before God the Father, having persevered in our faith? Are there those moments when your faith feels weak? I, I know those moments. When, when it feels, my faith can feel smaller than my circumstances. I know those moments. And yet, having persevered in our faith, there is a day where we will be honored before God. Because he is mediating and interceding on our behalf, we are honored before God right now. That doesn't mean that we worship ourselves. It means that we worship the one who we are attached to that allows us to be in such a privileged place. And just like Jesus, we are living stones. We are part of this new temple. We are ourselves now a temple. In the Old Testament, the temple was the spiritual house. It served as God's house. It was the place of his presence. Do you know that this building is not the place of God's presence? You are now. You are to be filled with his presence. You are filled with his presence at salvation. You are to be continually filled. What is happening? Well, as these living stones are being built into one another on the living cornerstone, we are being built into a living, vibrant, spiritual house. This means that no matter what dark circumstances we may walk through as a church locally, nationally, Globally, no matter how difficult the suffering may be, God is always with us. We are never packed away like the tent of meeting was. 
We are never just in one location like the temple was on the mound. No, God is always with us, and He dwells with us by His Spirit. It also means that the fact that God dwells in us by His Spirit means that our worship doesn't have to be centralized to this location. Now, some of you may have taken advantage of that and are watching online this morning because of the rain. Come on back. It's just water. Free baptisms? I mean, we do offer those. There's no charge for that. We have one in just a moment. Our worship is no longer limited. It means that at your kitchen table, you can worship the Lord. It means that you're in your living room, you can come to Him. It means in your cubicle, in your conference room, you can display and declare and proclaim His glories. It means on your campus, you can shine as a light because of the light that has been shown into the darkness of your heart. Our worship is not centralized. It is not segmented. It is not put into this box and put away. What else does this passage reveal to us about Jesus? It reveals to us that Jesus is the high priest that we look to in ministering to others. See, we have this new status with Christ, and along with it comes new responsibilities. We've been talking about this very interesting equation that we have to get just right in our faith, don't we? And yet, it can be one of those great struggles in the Christian life to make sure that we're not putting our hope in our performance. And yet, we realize that we have responsibilities in this Christian life. But the concept of being a royal priesthood communicates something about access to God's presence. I wonder if we realize the privilege that that access to His presence is. And, And what I mean by that is, I wonder if we take advantage of it often enough. I know that I don't. I know that I pray often, Lord, remind me of your work in the midst of this moment. Remind me of your presence being with me. I I have to pray those prayers. I, I actually pray that that's an increasing prayer in our congregation. Lord, remind me of the access that I have to your presence. It's already everywhere. And it's not like I have to do something special in order to access it. It's, it's, a, and it's an act of remembrance that I already have access. See, this idea of priesthood communicates that kind of special access to the presence of God. But more than that, it means that as we access that presence, we get to mediate that presence to the world around us. We get to reveal and display something about the goodness of the presence of God to the world around us. There's a mediating factor to the priesthood. It means that we proclaim his excellencies. We show hospitality. We serve. We share the good news of Jesus with others around us. Why? Because it's been made possible. It's been made acceptable through Jesus' perfect atoning sacrifice. See, we've been set apart in order to serve in this kind of way to serve in God's presence as priests, to make much of God in this world through Jesus Christ. As a priesthood, we do have this special access to God. This isn't Christianity 301. This is Christianity at its most basic level, access to the holy of holies, filling with the Holy Spirit. 
You don't have to level up for this. It's the foundation that we can build our lives on. It's the, it's the most fundamental thing that we can find our identity in. We have this access to God's presence through the work of God's Son. And in this mediatorial function in this world, we're called to display what life is supposed to look like. Let me ask you a question. Whether you're single or married, with children or without, does your home display the goodness of God that it was created and designed for? Does your life display the goodness that God created it for? In your use of the gifts, are you acknowledging the source of those gifts? Does your life align with the one who created it in the first place? We also get to see how every aspect of how we live, what we say, what we do, serves God in displaying His glory and making much of Him. You know, as, as we look at verses 6 through 8, it says this, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed as they were destined to do. There's a stark warning here. But let's look at some of the passages that are cited. There's three different passages that are cited here. Begins with Isaiah chapter 28. The imagery is of a cornerstone. It's, it's a most vital part of the building. Everything rests upon it. The other stones that are around it are supposed to align with it. And the point that Peter is making by citing Isaiah chapter 28 is this. Build your life on Jesus. Build your life on Jesus. If you get Jesus right you can get your identity right. And if you get your identity right, you can get your community right. And if you get your community right, you can get your purpose in this life right. Align your life on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that you look back to and say, in any type of comparison, how do I measure up? Don't look to the other living stones. Look to the living cornerstone. You know, it came to mind as I was thinking about this this week, one of my favorite historical characters, actually both of my favorite historical characters come from the same time frame in World War II. First one is Winston Churchill. I don't know that we'll see him in heaven, but he actually was known for many things, his oratory skills, his leadership in World War II, but did you know that he was also a Mason? He took quite a bit to the work of masonry. It, there's a story that's told, I forget what year it was exactly, there's a story that's told of Churchill that there was a day that he was going to go and be a part of a, a kind of a, a foundation laying project for a new building that was being built. And he went into this place and he took the silver trowel, much like you would with golden shovels now for these groundbreaking that we'll have, ceremonies that we'll have, and he took the silver trowel and as he went to do it, he actually set it back down and looked to the event organizers and said, the cornerstone is off kilter. The cornerstone is off kilter. Now, in England, you can still see some of the walls in his gardens that Churchill put together. Thousands and thousands of bricks he laid. I don't know what that was as a hobby. That's not a hobby that I undertake. 
But he looked at the cornerstone and said there's something off kilter about it. And of course, this was a major embarrassment to those that were gathered there. And after they took some careful measurements, they realized that Churchill was right. The measurement was off. The cornerstone was off kilter. And so they couldn't build on that cornerstone. Around that same time, there was a gentleman, a theologian in Germany named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He had many theological writings. He was known for his staunch resistance to Nazi dictatorship and the opposition to the euthanasia and persecution of the Jews. He wasn't known for masonry, but he was known for building his life on Christ and calling the church to do the same. See, his life exemplified that Christ must be the cornerstone of Christian fellowship. It's not... The church that makes Christ present, Bonhoeffer would say, but it is Christ who makes the church present. Church, build your life on Jesus Christ, the living cornerstone. Align your life with him. See, Churchill would have worldwide acclaim for earthly victories. Bonhoeffer would choose Jesus, and in so doing, he would lose his life. Which one was more successful? Church Bonhoeffer was. I don't know that we'll ever see Churchill in heaven. It's my understanding he was agnostic. But there will come a day that we can all thank Dietrich Bonhoeffer for his work in this world. Because by losing his earthly life, he gained Christ. Because he built his life on him. What about Psalm 118? That's one of the other citations. In this psalm, there is this victory processional that is happening. The builders that rejected the cornerstone were the, na- the other nations surrounding Israel. The New Testament writers, Jesus and Matthew, Peter and Acts, are going to reference Israel's leaders. What's the point that they're trying to make with this? They're saying Jesus is the cornerstone, but there are many who will reject them. Nations will reject the message of Jesus. Will you reject his message this morning? What about Isaiah chapter 8? Isaiah chapter 8 wants to call us to not build our life on manipulations of the gospel. In other words, no conspiracy theory will get you into heaven. In our house right now, we have a conspiracy theorist. I'm not saying it's the first lady, but it's not my children. And I joke with her at different times. I say, what conspiracy is for today? And there is so much fake news out there, and it's become a joke in our house. I'm trying to come up with her new identity for this. In our house, we name our different personalities. So one of mine's is Winston. It's when I'm ready to blow something up. One of hers is Diana Prince. That's Wonder Woman. So now we're trying to come up with what my wife's new conspiracy theorist name is. But you know there's no conspiracy that will ever get you into heaven. And you may think, how is it that you're going to Isaiah chapter 8 and thinking about conspiracies? In Isaiah chapter 8, they are being warned prophetically not to turn to the sorcerers of the day. Sorcerers of this day, those who spin, those who take the truth and alter, add, subtract. Didn't we just see last week how easy, how easily available, altered spiritual milk is? Don't buy into that church. Don't buy anything that takes away from or adds to the good news of Jesus revealed in his word. 
Don't buy into eternal conspiracy theories or manipulations on the gospel. They're all around us today. But when it comes to our eternal salvation, there is only one way to the Father. Don't place your hope in any other. There's a call here. Step back from the perspective the world is trying to sell you and see things from God's perspective as sovereign. You know, in Acts chapter 4, Peter cites Psalm 118 in the midst of these call to us as a church to be bold in our prayers. Peter cites Psalm 118, and he notes that there is salvation in no one other than Jesus. Jesus, our high priest, the cornerstone of God's spiritual temple, making us his spiritual dwelling place. And and here's the truth this morning. There's only one of two possible responses for us today. As we're confronted with humanity's accountability in responding to the truth of who God is in concert with, alongside his sovereignty over creation, there's one of two responses for us today. We can either look to the cornerstone of Jesus and take our position from him, make sure that we're on the level with him, make sure that we are in the right angle and position, lining ourselves up to him, or we can refuse to live by his reference and stumble over him instead. The truth is, that leads to eternal condemnation. Do you know those moments in your own soul when you feel condemned? Sometimes we'll use the phrase today that you're just beating yourself up over this. You need to learn how to forgive yourself. You need to learn how to receive the forgiveness that Jesus freely offers you. I think that's a better way to say that. There are things in this life that can be difficult to process, but do you realize that eternal condemnation means that type of torment for your soul and your physical body in hell for all of eternity? May that be the closest to hell your soul ever gets on earth. Align your life with the living cornerstone and let him say there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. You know those moments when you are trying to figure out how to counsel your own soul when you've fallen into sin and you're not sure what to do? As we come to him, Do what? Align your life with the living cornerstone. What mercy is that? It's true, it's a stark warning that there is an eternal hell awaiting those who see Christ and turn from him and stumble over him instead. Oh, but there is life. And even as we sang in worship this morning, there is life abundantly in his presence. Let me ask you, gathered here today, let me ask you as individuals making up this gathering, who is Jesus to you today? Is he the way, the truth, and the life, or is he tripping you up in the paths that you're attempting to create in your own life? You know, last week I mentioned that as we see these commands, that Peter is simplifying the pursuits of those who believe in Jesus for salvation. But these were never intended to be new pathways to salvation. Jesus is the only way to salvation. In our passage today, we see this grace-fueled pattern of gospel obedience. 
that as believers offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we see in verse 5, at the end of verse 5. That as we offer those sacrifices, that our sacrificial lives devoted to the Lord are not what make us acceptable before God. Jesus makes us acceptable before God. We might think of it this way. We are living stones because he is the living cornerstone. What if we personalized it a little more? I am a living stone because he is the living cornerstone. We are a spiritual house because he is the spiritual house builder and filler. Or if we personalize it even more, I am being built into a spiritual house because he is building and filling me. What about this? We are a royal priesthood. Or if we personalize it even more, I am a royal priest because the high king of heaven and the high priest is living. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he is active. He is interceding for you and me today. So I can mediate that presence to those around me. So what is it that makes us living stones? What is it that makes us a spiritual house or a royal priesthood? Peter wants to make it explicitly clear. It is the mercy of God shown to us through Jesus Christ. When we hear this word mercy, not as opposed to grace, but in, in concert with grace, what does it remind us? Is? It reminds us that we deserve something far worse than what we receive when we come to him. See, as we try to come to him, apart from him, we receive judgment. But as we come to him through the precious blood that he shed for us, we receive mercy. I don't know how many of you need mercy today. Let me just make it the assumption it's all of us gathered here. who made the ultimate sacrifice on your behalf on my behalf on behalf of those who did not deserve that ultimate sacrifice and so in response to his work of redemption we can devote ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord of mercy even as he builds us and he makes us living stones a spiritual house and a holy priesthood church, can we stand together and rejoice in Jesus Christ.